6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of First Chronicles, chapters 22 through 25. Well, we're continuing our review of First Chronicles. We're going to focus on chapters 20 through to 25, 22 through 25. The focus is now going to just zero in on David's temple. And you notice I don't call it Solomon's temple. Everyone does, because he actually built it. But David really planned it, paid all the bills, really made all the arrangements in advance. And, of course, the whole perspective of Chronicles is from a priestly point of view. So all this, in a sense, was a prelude to what's forthcoming here. And uh, it's um, really kind of remarkable when you think about it, is that the temple was built on the property that David purchased because of his sin in numbering the people. The temple will be built by Solomon, who was the son of Bathsheba, the woman that David had an adulterous relationship with. Who but God could take two sins and out of that bring forth the temple. It's interesting to put, try to put that in perspective. But uh, again, just by way of review, the book of Chronicles is, is really, first and second are really one book in the, in the uh, Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament. The Greek term for it was really meant supplements, in effect, to first and second kings. The Latin Vulgate, Jerome called it the Chromicon, and out of that we get Chronicles. But the first and second kings really are the political record. First and second chronicles are the religious or priestly or Levitical record. And um, they take the form of a history, commencing, of course, with Adam, going right on through to the death of Saul, ending with the decree of Cyrus the Persian, uh, when they released the, uh, the, the slaves, the captives. Um, when uh, Cyrus conquered Babylon, he, re he not only released them to go home, he gave them financial incentives. We're going to get into all that when we get there. And uh, David and Judah, of course, are the focal points with the emphasis on the priestly and the Levitical orders. And uh, if you look at the monarchy, of course, that uh, first, Second Samuel covered, you know, First Samuel to the to up to David, Saul, and then David. Second Samuel, the, the the ministry of David himself. First Kings and Second Kings carry it right on through to the exile of the uh, in in the, and especially Chronicles to be focusing on the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah. And uh, so Chronicles is really a parallel. First Chronicles is really, in a sense, a parallel of Second Samuel. Second Chronicles, both First and Second Kings, in a sweep through from a priestly point of view. Okay. And this just summarizes the rest of it. That uh, First and Second Samuel is Samuel, Saul, and David. First and Second Kings is David's 40-year reign, then Solomon, the divided kingdom, and uh, then the exile. Assyria, in the case of the northern kingdom, and Babylon, uh, a temporary captivity for seven years, uh, seventy years in uh, Babylon. So, First and Chronicles, and when you think of them, realize you're going to focus on Judah, the Southern Kingdom, and uh, so this is just again another summary of the details of First Samuel to refresh your memory on that. 
in 2 Samuel, David's triumphs in Judah at first, seven years there, and then 13 years, king of all Israel. And uh, then uh, David's troubles, his family, his nation, that's all detailed in 2 Samuel. But so 1 Chronicles skims through the genealogies, then we're in the reign of David, the areas we're in now, getting ready. When we finish through this, we'll be getting the reign of Solomon, which will constitute the main part of the, the whole series. Last time we talked about David's five stones when he picked up as a kid in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, the one stone, of course, took down Goliath, but he had four others in his pocket. Why? Because Goliath had four brothers. That will be subsequently dealt with. Ishbim Ben-Ab was uh, almost cost David his life. Abishai took care of that. And from that point on, they asked him not to be in combat. They couldn't risk him, obviously. But the other brothers of Goliath were killed by various members of the uh, mighty men of David. They took care of the other gang. So that takes care of Goliath and his four brothers, the five sons of the giant. But we talked about Rephaim last time, about the, the, what, what Nephilim was. That was not just before the flood. There was some after that. And that was exactly what they saw in uh, Numbers 13. There were Nephilim in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. That's, we, we talked about what's called the angel view of Genesis 6 last time. And it's important to understand that, not just for Genesis, but also our perspective of what a lot of other things that are going on in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about the topology of Mount Moriah, how David came to purchase the crashing floor of Aruna. And we talked about the basic topology, and uh, that it's, Mount Moriah is basically a ridge system, and uh, the city of David being at its foot, in a sense, the thrashing for Aruna is up on the saddleback, but the peak of the area is a place called Golgotha, the Akedah, Abraham's offering of Isaac. There is a Jewish tradition that Abraham offered Isaac where the temple uh, later stood, and that's their tradition, but I have reasons to suspect that the Golgotha was the place because it fits so many other issues, but that's just a view. Now, David's zenith, we, were, we just want to re recognize that we've... Very, in a very summary fashion, have come to where David has really um, demonstrated his generalship. He subdued all their major enemies, the Philistines to the west, the Syrians to the north, the Ammonites and Moabites to the east and south, and uh, the Amalekites to the south. He's also a very skillful administrator. We're going to focus on that here in the subsequent chapters. And he's going to organize the priesthood of, of uh, the Levitical priesthood into 24 courses, or sections, or divisions. And that's going to be meaningful to us as we'll, uh, when we get there. And we also want to, as we try to get a profile of David at his peak, he is a major poet and a major songwriter, responsible, of course, uh, not limited to, but also, obviously, the book of Psalms. And we talked about the kingdom proper that he ruled. The vassal states, the Philistines, Ammon, and Hamath, have been subdued from the previous session. And there's also an acknowledged sovereignty over the Arameans, the Moab, and Edom. There's, they, 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 they're his servants, in effect. So he's, got, he's done well. So let's take about, now because he's done well, now he starts focusing on the uh, temple. First Kings is silent about the steps that he might have taken to prepare Solomon. Chronicles is going to really focus on that for us. And... Uh, his plans, get, buying all the materials in advance, 
And uh, we're going to see a description of those steps. David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he sent masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joinings and the brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And he'd made a friend of Hiram up there and he got the cedars and so forth. David said, Solomon my son is young and tender and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. That's quite a word, magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. David wanted to build the temple. God says, no, you can't do it. You're a man of war. Your son's going to do it. And David says, okay, that's all right. I'll pay the bills. I'll set it all up for him. And that's exactly what he set out to do. And he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. There is a very close linguistic relationship between the word shalom, peace, and Solomon, shlomo. They're, very sim they're, 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 they're closely linked in the Hebrew. So uh, David was a man of war, Solomon will be a man of peace. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall, this is God speaking to David, recounting it, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And Solomon was not the name that Nathan gave when he was born, it was Jedidiah. Solomon was his royal name. But he has other names. He called himself the preacher in Ecclesiastes. He called himself the collector in Psalm 30, collector of riddles. And Bathsheba had a private name for him, called him Lemuel. But uh, anyway, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Wow. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee. And prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt prosper, if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. That's the instruction to Solomon. It's too bad he didn't really stick with it. He started off pretty well. But he did, finishing well is the name of the game, and he didn't. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, wow, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. A, a hundred thousand talents of gold. If you go through your biblical equivalency tables, you'll discover that that's about 3,750 tons of gold. And that's about 37,500 37, tons of silver. So at current prices, 
We're talking about $80 billion, give or take. You know, somebody can check my math on that. I might have made a mistake, but that's what it seems to run out to. And think about that kind of money in those days. Boy, breath, it's, it's beyond our imagining. Moreover, there were workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in the name of the Lord. Wow. We could elaborate, but that says it all. You get, I think it doesn't require a lot of comment. Let's go to chapter 23. We're going to talk about the organization. And uh, we won't find out. There's a verse in 2 Chronicles 29 that points out this organization was not David's imagining. It's what God had instructed him to. Let's talk about the Levites. There were 38,000 Levites available. David is going to divide them into four units. 24,000 to supervise the work in the temple. And by the way, distinguish now, priests, all the priests were Levites of the tribe of Levi, but when it says Levites, it means the non-priest Levites, because the priests were separate. We're going to deal with them. When it's, the Levites were more in number, and uh, um, uh, so when you see the word Levites, it implies those are the non-priests. Anyway, 24,000 to supervise the work in the temple, 4,000 as musicians, 4,000 as doorkeepers, temple treasuries, storerooms, that sort of thing. 6,000 to be scattered throughout the nation to act as judges and teachers. That was the duty of the Levites. They didn't inherit land. They had 48 cities in lieu thereof. They, their inheritance was the Lord. 38,000 that we're dealing with here. So when David, and this is the text. So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his king over Israel. David does not wait to die. He knows he's old, so he sets up Solomon and assures his acceptance. He gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from age of 30 years and upward. And their number by their poles, man by man, was 30 and 8,000. He is going to lower that age to 20 later, you'll see. But that's, that's, that is the, the passage that... Uh, um, and you might, in your notes, you may open Second Chronicles twenty nine twenty five. That tells us that David's plan for the priests and the Levites was given to him by the Lord. And uh, it's important to understand that as we go here. Anyway, of which twenty and four thousand were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. The six thousand were officers and judges. Moreover, four thousand were porters, and four thousand praised the Lord with the instruments which I made. Said David, uh, to praise therewith. And David divided them into courses. Among the sons of Levi, namely Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Those were the three sons of, of, uh, of, of the tribe of Levi. And each of those families had specific duties when they were dealing with the tabernacle. Gershon took care of the hangings and so forth. Kohath, the, very, the, the specific appliances. 
Emerari, the building parts, the posts and the temples, but they each had their, they each had their de- duties and they're all detailed in the Torah, of course. And uh, so they, they were previously busy you know, disassembling, moving, reassembling the tabernacle throughout their wilderness wanderings. But uh, that was, in, uh, you see that all described in Numbers 3 and 4 and elsewhere. But now that they were serving a permanent sanctuary, their duties are being totally reassigned. Of the Gershonites were Ladan and Shemei and the sons of Ladan. The chief was Jehiel and Jetham and Joel three and sons of Shemei, Shalomith, Heziel, Haran three. These were the chief of the fathers of Ladan. Sons of Shemei were Jehath, Zena. These four were the sons of Shemei and the Jehath was the chief and Zizah the second and Jehush and Beriah had not many sons. Therefore they were uh, in one reckoning according to their father's house. Sons of Kohath. We're going right through the three families here. The Kohath is the next group. Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel four, sons of Amram, Aaron and Moses, and Aaron was separated that he should sanctify the most holy things, he and his sons forever, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him and bless his name forever. In other words, Aaronic, that was the priests. And now concerning Moses, the man of God, his sons were named after the, of the tribe of Levi. Sons of Moses were Gershon and Eliezer. Sons of Gershom, Shebuel was the chief. Sons of Eliezer were Rehabiah, the chief, and Eliezer had done none other sons, but sons of Rehabiah were very many. Sons of Ishar, Shalomith, the chief, and sons of Hebron, Zariah the first, and Moriah the second, Jehaziel the third, Jacob the fourth. And it goes on, the sons of Uziel, Micaiah the first, and Jezai the second. Then the final set, set that Merari of Mali and Mushi, the sons of Mali were Eliezer and Kish. Eliezer died, had no sons, but the daughters, their brethren, the sons of Kish, took them. And the sons of Mushi, Mali, and Ader, and Jeremoth, three. And they, these were the sons of Levi after the house of their fathers, even the chief of the fathers, as they were counted by the number of names by their poles, and did the work of the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and upward. And uh, so... So there apparently was a much larger ecclesiastical burden. So David lowers the gauge to 20 uh, from the previous 30. For David said, The Lord God of Israel hath given rest unto his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. Also the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle or any vessels of it for the service thereof. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord in the courts and in the chambers and the purifying of all holy things, and the work of the service of the house of God, both for the showbread and for the fine flour of, for meat offering, and for the unleavened cakes, and for that which is baked in the pan, for that which is fried, for all manner of measure and size, to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at even, to offer all burnt sacrifices unto the Lord in the Sabbaths, in the new moons, and on the set feasts by number, according to the order commanded unto them continually before the Lord. There are 70 appointed times in the Torah. When you take the Sabbaths and so forth, go, go through this whole thing. And, and every Jew knows that. What's fascinating is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, He made the stars and so forth for the signs and the seasons. The word there is Hamoyedim. That if you search the computer with a computer, the 70,000 letters of Genesis, the word Hamoyedim only appears in a Christian sense only once, centered on that verse at an interval of 70. Very interesting. Astonishing, actually. Anyway, that they should keep the charge of the tabernacle congregation and the charge of the holy place and the charge of the sons of Aaron and their brethren in the service of the house of the Lord. 
Okay, now we get to chapter 24. I want you to remember 24 because it deals with 24 courses. It's easy to remember. It happens to coincidentally to be chapter 24, 24 courses for the priests. These are the divisions of the sons of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ethamar. Nadab and Abihu were, you know, got in a big trouble, you may recall, because they died before their father, had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ethamar executed the priest's office. David distributed them both Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech the sons of Ithamar according to their offices in their service. And there were, there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus were they divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were the sixteen chief men of the house of their fathers and eight among the sons of Ithamar according to the house of their fathers. So he got sixteen and eight. Hmm? Thus were they divided by lot, one sort with another, for the governors of the sanctuary, the governors of the house of God, were of the sons of Eleazar and of the sons of Ithamar. Now it's going to go through mention some of these. Shemiah, the son of Nethaniel, the scribe, one of the Levites, wrote them before the king and the princes, and the Zadok the prince, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, and before the chief of the fathers of the priests and Levites, one principal household being taken for Eleazar, one taken for Ithamar. Now the first lot came forth to Jeharib, the second to Jediah, the third to Hirim, the fourth to Shorim, the fifth to Melchizedek, the sixth to Mijamim, the seventh to Hakoz. The one you want to remember is the eighth. Obviously, these, stick, these names won't stick with any of us, cause, but this one you want to remember, that the eighth course, these are being divided in 24 courses, the eighth course is the course of Abijah. And I'll show you why that will be interesting to you after we get through the, the mechanics here. The ninth to Jeshua, the tenth to Shechaniah, the eleventh to Eliashib, the twelfth to Jachim, the thirteenth to Hupa, the fourteenth to Yeshabad, the fifteenth to Bilgah, the sixteenth to Emer, the seventeenth to Hezer, the eighteenth to Ephesus, the nineteenth to Pethiah, the twentieth to Jezekiel, the one and twentieth to Jachin, the two and twentieth to Gamul, the three and twentieth to Delilah, not Delilah, Deliah, and uh, the four and twentieth to Messiah. So there's 24. So David, according to the instruction of God, divides the priesthood into 24 courses or divisions, if you will. Okay? Each one has a leader, obviously. These are the orderings of them in their service to come into the house of the Lord, according to their manner, under Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. Great. Why are we so interested in chapter 24? Because when you get to the book of Revelation... You're treated to a visit to the throne room of the universe. And one of the prominent features of that you discover in Revelation chapter 4 and following. It says, And around about the throne, that is the throne, were four and twenty thrones or seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed with, in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, as we undertake the book of Revelation, we know that the book of Revelation has 404 verses that include over 800 allusions from the Old Testament alone. Every one of these elements are amplified or explained somewhere else in the Scripture. The reason the book of Revelation seems so strange to our ears is because we haven't done our homework in the Old Testament. Well, where on earth do we find 4 and 20 elders? There's many commentators 
conjecture, gee, we've got 12 tribes and 12 apostles. 12 and 12 make 24. Well, that sounds fine, but give me an example where that applies to Scripture. No, the only place you find 24 elders or 24 seniors sitting or uh, impaneled is in the priesthood. But don't confuse it. That's, we're talking about Levitical priesthood. That's just a model. These are not Levitical priests. What are they? They'll identify themselves. The word, by the way, for those seats are also thrones. We're going to discover as they talk, they aren't just sitting there as observers. They are, in some respects, ruling. They're assigned to these seats as kings or judges. Okay. And those on their heads, they have crowns of gold. Okay. 24 elders. David divides the priesthood into 24 courses in 1 Chronicles 24. By the way, there were non-Levitical priesthoods in the Old Testament. This shocks many people. Jethro was a priest of Midian. He wasn't a Levite. What kind of priest was he? We don't know. Jacob gave tithes in Genesis 28. I'd love to know to whom. We don't know much about that. In Genesis 14, we have a very interesting guy show up by the name of Melchizedek. Just a couple of verses, and he would disappear into obscurity, except for the fact that Psalm 110 makes an allusion to him that Jesus Christ will be an, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron or Levitical. Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. Hammersworth for three chapters dwells on this fact that the Melchizedek and priesthood was a king and a priest. He's the only one that was a king and a priest. The Levitical the, the, the Israel was divided. The priests were Levites, the rulers were Judah, and not to cross. But the Messiah is both. Not after, Levit not after Levi, but after Melchizedek. So who are the 24 elders? What do they represent in the book of Revelation? Well, they, uh, from 1 Chronicles 24, we're going to pr presume that they represent, in some sense, a completed group somehow. They're the leadership of some kind of a segment here. What we know they cannot be is they cannot be tribulation believers. Some of you are believers from the tribulation. No, we'll see in Revelation 7, not so. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on one 800 K House 1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.